This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Today's episode is episode 233, entitled, Did Isaiah See Jesus? According to John chapter 12. In this week's episode, we are going to explore the two quotations from the prophet Isaiah as they are cited in John chapter 12. And we're exploring this topic because the popular interpretation surrounding these quotations states that Isaiah the prophet saw the pre-existent Jesus Christ. Now this raises a number of logical problems and potentially some logical fallacies, but I'd like to look at this point in detail. This is not actually a particular passage in Unitarian circles that gets a lot of attention, so I wanted to take a stab at it and to see what the evidence actually suggested. So here are some questions that I want to explore in this week's episode. First, what exactly did Isaiah claim to see? Second, how does the narrator of the Gospel John interpret the visions of Isaiah? Third, what is the substance of the two quotations and their surrounding context? And lastly, do these citations from Isaiah in John chapter 12 prove that Jesus Christ consciously preexisted his birth? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the visions of Isaiah the prophet in John chapter 12. So we're going to read this passage in John 12, get a sense as to why the citations were even given according to the narrator, why Jesus is actually seen as someone who needs to be referenced by Isaiah and what capacity that might possibly be, and the interpretation that the narrator is going to give to these quotations. So let's look in John chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 35. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, Yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. And the quotation begins. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? End quote. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, begin quote, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, 
so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I would heal them, End quote. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. That's John chapter 12, verses 35 through 43. So as you can see in this passage, Jesus is performing miracles. He summons his listeners to walk in the light so that they can become children of light. But Jesus goes away, and the narrator tells us that Jesus had performed a great many signs before the audience. Unfortunately, they were not believing in him, and this triggers the need to cite the prophet Isaiah twice. The first citation is in John 12, verse 38, and the citation is from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, which is part of the fourth suffering servant song within Isaiah. If you are familiar with our previous episode, we looked at the suffering servant songs in Isaiah and those occur in Isaiah chapter 42, 49, 50, and then 52 slash 53. The one in 52, 53 starts at the end of Isaiah 52, and it extends all the way to the end of Isaiah chapter 53. So this citation comes from that fourth and final suffering servant psalm. And then the narrator tells us in John 12, 39, that for this reason they could not believe, because Isaiah said, and then there's another quotation, and this quotation is from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10, which is not among the suffering servant songs. Isaiah chapter 6 is the commissioning of Isaiah the prophet, where Isaiah sees the Lord in his temple, surrounded by a bunch of angels, a bunch of seraphs, and Isaiah is commissioned, and it is indicated to Isaiah that God has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they won't see and they won't perceive and thereby be converted, and God would ultimately heal them if they had been converted. And then the conclusion that the narrator tells us in verse 41 is something that's really important for us to read very carefully. It says that these things, the two quotations, Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Now it's important that we understand the reference in these particular verbs. These things Isaiah said because he, Isaiah, saw his glory. And I do think his glory is in reference to Jesus. Verse 41 continues, and it says that he spoke of him. And I think that's Isaiah spoke of Jesus. Now, why is it that Isaiah is a subject? Well, I think it's pretty clear because Isaiah is the prophet that's being quoted here. And at the beginning of verse 41, Isaiah is clearly the subject. Isaiah said because Isaiah saw his glory and Isaiah spoke of him. That's clear. Now, 
the reference to the glory and the person about whom Isaiah spoke seems to be a reference to Jesus. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and Isaiah spoke of him. Or in Greek, Isaiah spoke peri him, which is the preposition with the genitive, which means concerning. So Isaiah spoke concerning Jesus and he saw Jesus' glory because as you see in verse 42, the following verse, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. And it's clear that the him there is Jesus. And the Pharisees were making it difficult for the rulers to confess him. Again, confessing Jesus. So Jesus clearly is that referent. So I do think Isaiah is depicted here by the narrator as seeing Jesus' glory, and Isaiah spoke concerning him. But what exactly does that mean? Because John 12, 41 doesn't say that Isaiah saw Jesus. It says that Isaiah saw his glory, and Isaiah spoke concerning him. And of course, what's going on is that these passages from Isaiah are being cited because they were not believing in him. That is specifically what the narrator tells us in 1237. They were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke. The citations are given to us to explain why it is that the signs that Jesus is performing are not being believed. And of course, it says that in verse 39, they could not believe because it seems that God has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. So we need to look at the quotations with a little bit more detail in order to see if we can gather some more information and data as to why they are being cited in this particular fashion. It will also help us to understand what it means when the narrator tells us that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke concerning him. So this moves us to our second point. Point number two, the suffering servant and Isaiah 52 through 53. So as you'll recall, the first citation that we see in John chapter 12 of Isaiah and this particular passage comes in John 12, 38, and that citation is from Isaiah 53, verse 1. Now, I'm going to give us a little bit more data on this passage by giving us some context. And so I'm not going to start in 53, verse 1. I'm going to start a few verses earlier in Isaiah 52, 13, which says this, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So that is the context of Isaiah 52 verse 13, all the way through Isaiah 53, verse 1. 
And so in this passage, it is discussing the suffering servant. The speaker is Yahweh speaking through the prophet. So when it says, behold, my servant, this is Yahweh speaking about someone other than Yahweh. It is Yahweh's servant. Yahweh, of course, is a single person because the servant is described as my servant. And my is a first person singular pronoun indicating that the Lord, Yahweh, is a single person. So the servant is someone who is distinct from Yahweh. The servant is not Yahweh. The servant is someone who serves Yahweh's salvific purposes. But what's interesting here is that the servant is described as someone who is going to be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, despite the fact that his appearance is going to be marred and his form more marred than any of the other sons of men. This servant is a human figure. He is among the sons of men. He is explicitly called a human being there in 52.14. And yet, we also see in verse 15 that kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not been told, they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. So it's very interesting that the passage here mentions not only the fact that this servant is going to be high and lifted up, but also that kings are going to shut their mouths on account of him. And it's interesting because in John 12, one of the reasons that's given for the citation, at least of this particular passage, is that the rulers believed in Jesus, John 12, 42, because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. So it seems that there is a reference to the context of Isaiah 53, verse 1, which is the verses prior to that, Isaiah 52, 13, 14, and 15, because they refer to the fact that kings are going to shut their mouths on account of him. And as we see in the narrative of John's Gospel, the rulers are not able to confess him. The rulers, of course, are the kings, the rulers, those who are in ruling authority. Now, the particular citation, 53 verse 1, indicates who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. And this is meant as a lament. It's the fact that the message that's being offered is something that has not been taken seriously. It has not been believed. And this, of course, is another reason why the citation is given, because Jesus is performing many signs, but people were not believing in him. And that, of course, is what brings about this particular quotation, which explicitly says, Lord, which is a reference to Yahweh, who has believed our report, who has believed this particular message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. In Isaiah, both of those references to the Lord is to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. Now, what's also interesting is that the citation from Isaiah 53, verse 1, is actually cited from the Septuagint, from the Greek version of the Old Testament. And the Greek version has some interesting vocabulary that you might not be able to see very clearly if you're reading your Hebrew version. It's very clear that the author 
of the Gospel of John is thinking in the Greek version of Isaiah with a citation from Isaiah 53 verse 1. So let me give you the English translation from the Septuagint of the context there of Isaiah 53 verse 1. Of course that context involves the previous verses from Isaiah 52. So in Isaiah 52 verse 13 it says in English, Behold, my servant shall understand, he will be exalted and exceedingly glorified. That's interesting. We have the verb glorified that's being used here. In Greek, doxas physite. That's in Isaiah 52, verse 13 in the Septuagint. It means that he is going to be glorified greatly. And this is very important because the reason why the quotations is given is stated in John 12, 41, that these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. And what do we see here? Isaiah is being quoted from the Septuagint, and the Septuagint uses glorification language not for Yahweh, but for Yahweh's servant. The servant is going to be glorified. Let's look at the next verse, Isaiah 52, verse 14. As many shall be amazed at you, so shall your face be without glory from men, and your glory shall not be honored by the sons of men. That's the English translation of the Septuagint of Isaiah 52, verse 14. And so we have glory language that's being used there multiple times. Remember, these things Isaiah said because he saw his glory. Now you wouldn't get that impression if all you did was you read the passage and you saw the quotation from Isaiah 53 verse 1, which says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's no reference there to glory. The noun glory doesn't show up. The verb to glorify doesn't show up. But when you go back and you look at the context, and you note that Isaiah 53 verse 1 is from the Septuagint, and you see how the other verses from the Septuagint explicitly use glorification language, the noun and the verb, to refer to the servant, it starts to make a little bit more sense. So Isaiah did speak of the suffering servant's glory. That is quite clear. The pieces are starting to come together a little bit better. Let's look at the other citation, the citation from Isaiah chapter 6. This moves us to our third and final point, which is Isaiah's vision of God on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6. Now Isaiah chapter 6 is the commissioning passage for the prophet Isaiah. Most of the major prophets will give a passage or a chapter that describes the way in which they are encountered by God and how God commissions them to function as an authorized prophet. You can see this in Exodus chapter 3 where you have the commissioning of Moses or Ezekiel chapter 1 with the commissioning of Ezekiel. But Isaiah's commissioning happens six chapters into his narrative. It's Isaiah chapter 6. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, 
stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. That's Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. So remember, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 10 is cited to indicate that the signs that Jesus had been performing were not being believed, leading to a rejection, leading to the first citation from Isaiah 53 verse 1, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And we can see here the reason is that the hearts of the people are insensitive, their ears are dull, their eyes are dim, because if they were able to see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, they would return, they would repent, and of course they would be healed. But of course they aren't doing that because they aren't listening to God's servant. They aren't listening to the servant that is declaring the report of Yahweh. It's declaring Yahweh's salvific message. So there's an insistence in both of the citations involving the rejection of the message of the Lord, who has heard our report, who has listened to our report, and the reason why is that the hearts are insensitive, the ears are dull, and the eyes are dim. Now, specifically in John's Gospel, the reference is that the eyes are blinded, John 12:40, and the heart is hardened. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I would heal them. So the reference to the ears is not mentioned there. It's interesting because the citation that's given there of Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 10 doesn't actually match any of the versions of Isaiah that we currently have. It doesn't match the Hebrew version that we have, and it doesn't match the Septuagint version that we have. It could be that the author of the Gospel, John, is quoting it freely, or perhaps making some modifications to it, but it doesn't actually match any of the versions that we have, unlike the quotation from Isaiah 53, verse 1, which it does match one of the versions that we have, that is, the Septuagint. So we can trace that line of thinking with a little bit more clarity. So what we can see 
is that the message of the prophet is being rejected by the people. This, of course, indicates the fact that the quotation is used to reference the rejection of Jesus' signs. And remember, the whole purpose of this is the statement the narrator gives in John 12:41. These things Isaiah said because Isaiah saw his glory and he spoke concerning him. Now, in Isaiah chapter 6, we do have some references to glory. We have the reference to the fact that the whole earth is full of Yahweh's glory, but that doesn't seem to be anything very specific or anything tied to Jesus or that message. But there's no other reference to glory in the temple. Now, you might make the argument that Yahweh is there, and Isaiah really didn't see Yahweh. He just saw Yahweh's glory. Well, that's that's fine, but you have to read that into the passage, and you could make the argument that it is implied, and I think that argument actually has some merit. But when it comes to glory language, is glory language being drawn from Isaiah chapter 6, or is glory language being drawn from Isaiah 52 verse 53? I think it's from Isaiah chapters 52 through 53, which is clear. We saw that glorification language appeared in the Septuagint of Isaiah 52, verse 13, that the servant of Yahweh is going to be exceedingly glorified. And of course, in the next verse, in 52, verse 14, where the verb to glorify is used, and also the noun is used. So, what exactly did Isaiah see? Did Isaiah say that he saw Jesus? No, that's not what he says. Isaiah saw Jesus' glory, and Isaiah spoke concerning him. Now, we know where he saw the glory. He saw that in the suffering servant passage. But that's a reference to Jesus as the suffering servant, not a reference to Jesus as Yahweh. The suffering servant is the servant of Yahweh. To confuse Yahweh and his servant by collapsing the two into one would be confusion and nonsense. So Isaiah spoke about his glory, which is mentioned in the glorification that's going to happen in light of the rejection, which is clearly a Johannine theme that Jesus is going to be rejected and glorified. And his glorification involves his rejection, which is closely tied up with his suffering and crucifixion. So Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. That's a reference to the glory of the suffering servant, explicitly mentioned in Isaiah 52 through 53. And Isaiah spoke concerning him. Well, that's clear. He did speak concerning the suffering servant, but also he spoke concerning him in the fact that his message is rejected. O Lord, who has believed our report? That is something concerning Jesus and his message in the rejection of his signs. And the fact that the heart is insensitive and the eyes are dim is also speaking concerning Jesus as to why his message was not being believed.
So clearly, the glory references Isaiah 52 and 53, and the citation references the signs that were rejected, because as Isaiah said, who has believed our report, and the fact that the ears were dull and the eyes are dim. So returning to our initial questions, we can give some clarifying answers. What exactly did Isaiah claim to see? Answer, Isaiah claimed to see Jesus' glory, and Isaiah spoke concerning him. What does the narrator of the Gospel of John say to interpret these particular visions? Answer, they are to explain why Jesus was not believed and why his message was not taken seriously by the children of Israel. What's the substance of the two quotations? We have from Isaiah 53, the reference to the suffering servant, who's going to be glorified, and yet he is someone who is not going to be believed. And from Isaiah chapter 6, there is the fact that the message of Yahweh is going to be rejected. People aren't going to see, they're not going to hear, and they're not going to understand. But there's no indication that Isaiah, who was commissioned in Isaiah chapter 6, thought that Jesus was Yahweh sitting on the throne with the train of his robe filling the temple. That's not explicitly stated in John chapter 12. That's not insinuated by the quotations, and it wouldn't fit why the quotations are being used. The quotations are used to refer to the fact that Jesus is being rejected by the rulers, and this rejection is part of the glorification process of Jesus. So, do the citations from Isaiah in John chapter 12 prove that Jesus Christ consciously preexisted his birth? And the answer has to be no. They don't prove that. They don't suggest that. They certainly don't state it outright. What they do indicate is that Isaiah saw a vision of the glorification of God's servant, but this glorification is closely bound up with the rejection of the servant. So seeing the servant in a vision doesn't indicate that Jesus Christ consciously preexisted his birth or that the Gospel of John thinks that Isaiah equated Jesus Christ with Yahweh sitting on the throne. So there you have it. That is episode 233. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we look at the figure of Melchizedek and explore whether the New Testament identifies him as Jesus Christ, particularly in the book of Hebrews. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can subscribe for free on YouTube and iTunes. Please give us an honest review on iTunes, and you can support us by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to offer a donation, you can check out the PayPal link that is linked with this particular episode. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith. Until next time, please take care.